Welcome to another episode of the Thrills and Chills podcast brought to you by ShareBird and Clue. This is a show all about establishing product marketing and being the first product marketer. I'm your host, JD Prater. Today we are talking with the VP of Marketing at NextHealth about evolving with your PMM career up to a VP. But before we do, let's give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That is Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Don't just compete, compete to win with Clue. Adita, thanks for coming on the show. Really excited to have you on. VP of Marketing at Next Health. But uh, before we dive into really what it's like to be really the head of an org and building out your own org, I know you spent a lot of your career really developing categories, defining categories, creating categories. This is an amazing place to start this interview because product marketing, we all know, this is like what we all want to do or aspire to do. And so I'm just curious, how did you get started in that? And like, what are some of those cool stories that you have from that? Yeah, first off, just want to say thanks for having me on the show, JD. I'm excited to be here. And a lot has been made, I'd say, in the last few years about category creation. And a lot of focus has been placed there. And a lot of this, I would say, comes from getting into Gartner or Forrester's purview of creating a new category. And it started from there. But the real truth of it, I think, is when you actually stand out is if you're not focused on creating those categories, if you're just very focused on solving the customer problem, and doing it in areas where there isn't much innovation. I've been really lucky with my past experience of Nutanix, Amplitude, Synthigo, to just go into areas where there was a problem and the company was solving for that problem. And thus we could go create a category around it because it addressed a problem that the end user was having. In the case of Synthigo, it was hyper-converged infrastructure where you're combining computing resources with storage. With Amplitude, there was no analytics for product people. And one of the biggest pain points was understanding retention. And product analytics let you do that. And at Synthigo, the company I was at before Nexel, it was around genome engineering. And people wanted to edit genetics. They wanted to actually modify them to add proteins, remove proteins. And there weren't tools to do that. And Synthigo was developing them. And that allowed us to create the category. So category creation really starts with solving a problem. And we like to say product marketing, right? I actually think about it as problem marketing. Yeah. I'm curious, whenever you're evaluating joining a new company, is this something that you like look forward? You like look to and say, hey, like, are they in a category that's already created? Or do you kind of already know in the back of your head, we're going to have to create a new category? It's like threefold, right? The way you think about it for me is first, are they looking in a space where there is a lot of innovation or is there not? If there's already a lot of innovation, it's just going to be very difficult, right? And uh, to quote Peter Thiel, I hate competition. (laughs) And I just do because you have to work 10 times as hard. You have to spend 10 times as much more money. And you're sitting there like in a knife fight with other companies who are probably doing what you're doing. And you're probably maybe N plus one better versus being like 10X. Yeah. And so it's really critical, like in joining companies, I do evaluate, I do look at the team, but I look at the space and look at the competitors and look at how they approach the problem. And I think the biggest giveaway is if a category is created or not, is actually if they're focusing on marketing the problem or if they're focusing on marketing the product. If there's a lot of product marketing, I would say from the perspective of just marketing your product and not the problem the customer is having, it's a pretty crowded space. That's usually what gives it away. 
Yeah, that's a really good point too. And you see this all the time. I know as a product marketer, I evaluate messaging, not even my own and on my own website or anything like that, but it's like every website I go to and you're just like, what are they trying to accomplish here? What are they saying? What is the problem? Yeah. Who are they targeting? And you start just like dissecting it. I feel like Sherlock Holmes and like things are like going off in my head or like, what was that uh, chess game on Netflix where she's like playing chess on the- on Yeah, the, 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 I forgot it was the Queen's Gambit. There Queen's we go. Gambit, yeah, there it is. Like, exactly. You're looking at all the pieces on the board and you're like, wait, was this the right move? What are my opportunities here? And like you said, you go to the website, you go to the competitor's website, you start dissecting it and you're like, oh, they're really focused on just their product. Wait, they actually care about the problem and they're talking about the problem first and not the product. And you're like, okay, I'll have more conversation with the company that's thinking that way. Yeah. And that's a really good point too. I'm curious too, because even in my own experience, I'm sure even people out there listening, you're going to get some pushback. There always is, whether that's from the product team, if you're an early stage startup, it could be from like the founders, right? And they're like, no, 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 like, we got to talk about our product. How do you kind of talk them through that? No, no, no. Like we need to focus on the problem and kind of see this through, not just focus on like product messaging. Yeah. It really starts with talking to the customer. It really starts with getting the customer voice into the room and really asking the customer why they bought, what were they looking to solve? How did they want to change their business? And those are like, I would say three fundamental questions that you have to introduce into the executive staff and the C-suite and have them focus from that point. And if they say, no, we don't want to think about the customer, to be honest with you, that's not a place you want to be. I mean, right. it really comes down from the CEO taking a customer-centric approach. And people say customer-centric all the time, but customer-centric really means is how often do you talk to customers? How often are you in the trenches making phone calls like myself and Nexthelp? I'm making phone calls to dentists to ask, hey, how to use our product? Why did you buy us? Where do you shop to find new <laughs> products? And how do you understand if you have a problem in your business that you want to go solve it? What do you do, right? I sit there and make phone calls probably every two weeks, like two, three phone calls. Nice. And you just have to do it and you have to build that culture of it. And if that culture is not there, it's uphill battle. And I'd strongly urge people not to fight that battle. It might be a contrarian thought, but life's too short to waste your time with people who don't care about the customer. I know. It just reminds me, I know you were quoting Peter Thiel, I think of like uh, Ben Horowitz at over at uh, Andreessen Horowitz, famous VCs. And the company story is the company strategy. And so yeah. this storytelling, this figuring out this category creation, it's really getting stuck into how your customer already thinks and is already saying these things. And I'm just going to tell it back on the website. It's really that easy. And I know I just completely oversimplified that, but it really is like, those are the steps you have to take in order for it to like really resonate. You got it. And the other thing, there's a subtlety. Sure. And the subtlety is most people are not okay with revolutions. They're okay with evolutions. Hmm. So if you're sitting there and you're problem marketing to them and you're positioning the problem, talking to customers, you pick up on the nuances of how they buy, why they buy, what is the trigger that gets them to start this motion? And then you problem market, that's what you have to start thinking about. You can't just say, hey, what you have sucks it's not letting you do X, Y, Z. It doesn't yeah. work because you're insulting them for making the purchase. You have to talk about well, how is it limiting them and how is it limiting their business and what are the little things they can do even without your product to improve their business because you want to earn their trust. And as you earn their trust through your content and your 
positioning, they think of you as a subject matter expert that they can buy from. And that doesn't happen with like an evolution of we're changing everything and everything you're doing. A lot of people want to do that. And I'm like, you're going to lose the audience very quickly because they've done things a certain way to get where they got. Understand how they'll evolve versus trying to upheave everything. And that's the subtlety. As you mentioned, the company story is the company strategy. The company story is laced with, I would say, overall high level big shifts. But how you communicate those big shifts is the nuance in how you move the company strategy along. Yeah, 100%, man. And like, even with Amplitude, you were leading marketing there. I mean, you can just kind of see their journey. They just IPO'd, right? So hold on to that stock. Like, I'm happy for you there. But you look at, they really started mobile analytics. And it seems like they really hit their stride, probably right about the time you got there, it seems like, you know, or this product analytics and where they are now with like product intelligence. And it's like on steroids now, right? But it's like, you have to get there first before you can be this understanding what you're doing in this category that you are working and getting that traction to ultimately define that category. Exactly. Right. And you hit the nail on the head. It was evolution. If you look at it, they come out of the gate on day one and say, Hey, we're product intelligence. That's right. Or Hey, we're the digital (laughs) optimization system. That's what it is. Digital optimization. It took time and they brought their audience along. It started with, you hit the nail on the head, mobile analytics. Then we realized there's a pain point of retention. Who cares about retention? The most product folks do. How do we start positioning towards that? And you started creating a category of product analytics, which has evolved, but you didn't upend everybody and say, hey, your stuff sucks. We have a different way of doing everything. We plugged into the way they were doing things and positioned ourselves to solving a problem that they realized was really painful and hurting their business and nudged them to start looking at and thinking about that problem more. Ultimately, then we became the source for solving that problem because they knew we thought about it all the time. Yeah, 100%, man. Well, this is a really good conversation. I want to pivot a little bit now into Next Health. This is where you currently yeah. are, your VP of marketing there. Have you been here just over like six months now? Talk yep. to me about this journey. Like, what have you been up to in the first six months? Have you been hiring? Have you been writing that category creation and this positioning and messaging? Walk us through it. Yeah. So that's, what's really interesting, right? Every startup has its own unique journey. And there's one thing I'll say, every startup is like a baby. It has different (laughs) things it needs at different phases. Yeah. And the next health phase right now, we're really just focused on hiring the best talent that we can and accomplishing the things we need to do, right? So hiring a director or head of product marketing, hiring a head of growth and revenue and hiring a head of brand design, right? And letting them build their functions out. And as we're doing this, we're really focused on understanding the customer problem right now. And for us, we took a very focused approach on saying, we're going to have a SaaS product for dentists, really focused for dentists to be able to schedule online. And online scheduling, I don't know if you ever try to make an appointment with your dentist. It is probably as bad as going in and getting your teeth pulled, if not worse. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? And so for us, it's unique in the sense that everyone's talked about online scheduling. They've bastardized the term. So all dentists basically think, or even medical offices, online scheduling is a form or an email and not an actual (laughs) schedule. So that was a challenge and it is still is. It's like, wait, do we want to fight that battle when the perception has already been formulated Mm. that online scheduling is XYZ? Changing someone's perception is so much more difficult. It's hard. It's not worth it, right? So we started talking about how do you grow your practice 
how do you start ensuring you're getting ROI out of your marketing spend? And we're focusing on that more. And a way to do that is online scheduling, but start planting the seed of, are you understanding how you're getting returned from your investment and taking a different approach from that sense? And that's where we're hiring the team, but working on the messaging towards that and really starting to talk about, I think it's fun, the persona of a dentopreneur. Basically a dentist <laughs> who's an entrepreneur that owns their office. That's nice. And like yeah. And really shifting towards that and be like, you're a dentopreneur. Do you know how your business is doing? Do you know how your return on investment is happening? And so for us, we're really focused on taking care of that bit and starting to build content and positioning around that. If you look at our blog, we write a lot about dental software, the channels they can use. Believe it or not, one of the best things ever, you know, it's true, even though we're a B2B company, Instagram is a big channel for us. Dentists love Instagram. They want to know how to become better at Instagram and utilizing Instagram. And we have a lot of content that we're writing about that. We're putting an ebook out that'll come out a little bit, um, talking about using Instagram to grow your practice and convert your following into actual appointments. I love this playbook, man. Like this is such a good playbook. I say that because when you said it, I was like, God, I should be doing this as well, right? And I can already think of examples, right? You think of HubSpot, inbound marketing, right? Hey, you should get better at inbound marketing. Oh, BT Dubs, you can do that. You know, I think of Drift. Drift is like, forms are dead, right? And oh, by the way, here's like a chat pod. I didn't know they both have since grown from that, but- Evolved, right? They've evolved evolved, from that, but- Yeah, it's such a good way to get uh, mind share. That's really what it comes down to. And then again, with you, we're talking about problem solving. It's that problem marketing. It's really good. Yeah, exactly. It's the problem marketing. And that's what product marketing does as a function, right? Yeah. They market the problem like, and I love that. Right. And that's the (laughs) highs of it. It's when you nail it, that you see things just flow so well, people raise their hand and say that resonates with me. Yes, this makes sense. But nailing it comes from so many iterations before. (laughs) Yeah. Well, with that, you talked about that you're going to be hiring like a head of PMM, director of, Mm -hmm. what are you looking for in this role? This person is going to be coming in. Will will this be your first PMM out really kind of like outside of you? Yeah, it will. All right. So the first PMM hire, which is perfect, right? Like all those people out here listening, this could be you. What are you looking for in this role? Yeah. I mean, look, again, every startup is different, but there's some themes across startups, right? We're at a stage where we really need someone to come in and be able to talk to the customer, be having a pulse on them, and then position us based on the type of audience that we're going after. We have an SMB audience and we have an enterprise audience, right? And this person should be able to understand the nuances between them and understand the buying cycles between them also as well. And the pain points, they're really vastly different pain points. And so basically anyone that can understand those nuances and be able to suss those out and educate the sales team, educate the marketing org from not just marketing, but to also the growth side and the demand gen side and the brand side, because the brand is going to heavily be involved in the customer journey from not being a customer to prospect to customer to upsells. And it's a really pivotal role because they'll actually be driving the strategy of the marketing organization. It's what they come up with and the insights they drive will be pushed through cross-functionally also as well from customer success, product, and sales. So really cross-functional discipline, being able to articulate the pain that we're trying to solve, the nuances between our personas, and communicating that in a crisp methodology where it resonates with people. 
Nice. Classic PMM role right here. I love this. <laughs> I'm hoping we'll drop a link in the show notes for those. If it sounds like you and you want to go apply, so go check it out. But I'm curious, you've been leading the marketing function now for over five years. What advice would you give to maybe like the directors out there that are trying yeah. to figure out how do I become a VP? How do I get to this level? What advice would you give to crossing that career chasm? Yeah. So first thing I'll start off with, right? This may be an unpopular opinion, but titles matter. I'm going to be really upfront on this. It's true. Um, they matter. Whoever tells you otherwise, don't listen to them. They do matter. It's not because they don't know what they're saying. It's either they already achieved the title yeah, and it no longer is a barrier to entry or they achieved it such a long time ago that they don't recognize the power and authority that they have. And it's not to dismiss the person who says that to you. This is just to be cognizant of where they're coming from. Titles do matter. And someone who's a director and wanting to be a VP, I've been there. I try to cross that chasm, right? And it really comes down to is, can you show how you've evolved? Mm. And it really makes a difference. Like regardless if you're a startup or a big company, you need someone in your corner. You need someone in your corner, either it's your boss or it's your peers who are constantly A, giving you feedback and B, conveying your successes across to everybody also as well. And that perception is what makes that evolution happen. To be honest with you, right? What is the difference between someone who's a head of marketing and someone who's a VP or a CMO? It's the perception. Mm. Most of these people can do the job, right? And it's the little nuances in a meeting, how you take feedback. Are you defensive when someone comes and says, we disagree with what you're doing? And how do you respond to it? Those are the minute differences in your career that'll differentiate, that'll allow you to go from like a director, a VP or CMO. And you need to get feedback on how to do that better. And you need to be able to let others see how you're improving and then have them cheerlead you on to others in the organization also as well. And this is probably maybe a little bit too raw, but I'm going to be really candid because that's how those evolutions happen. Yeah. They don't happen just based on numbers. You already have the numbers because you're at that table. If you don't have the numbers, there's a moot conversation. You're not going to be even having the job. Yeah. So yeah, it might be too raw, but. <laughs> no, I want to dive into it because I, I think you're 100% correct, right? Like you're a director, table stakes. You've got to be hitting your numbers, right? You've got to be leading the team that you currently have. Crossing that chasm, a lot of it is perception. 100% agree with you. And a lot of that is tough. You could have a bad, but yep. maybe what I liked about our conversation and maybe it's the theme of it is, it's the evolution. It's the evolution yep. of you growing. You can have a bad meeting where you were defensive, but in a month from now, six months from now, how are you adapting from that point, right? You want to give someone the benefit of the doubt a lot of the times, because I've been there. I've been defensive. Like I've been that person where I'm like, crap, shouldn't have been so defensive. Like I should have listened a little bit more or been a little bit more empathetic. The next piece is how are you going to get better next? time. And that's the trick. Yeah, that is the trick. And you know, a little bit other side of it is talking to the person you were defensive to. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, really just approaching them after the meeting, being like, hey, look, I noticed I was defensive. These are the things that triggered me. Can you help me understand where you're coming from and any thoughts on how you've dealt with being defensive? Everyone has it. Nobody's not defensive. They've <laughs> found ways to mask their defensiveness. Yeah. And that's part of it too. I think part of that is just being that maturity aspect too. I mean, I find that as I get older, like I'm less, it takes more to like get me frazzled, like an amazing. That's yeah. like 10 years ago, I've been like throwing my hands up in the air. Like what? I can't believe this. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. ah, it's okay. Like it's not a big a deal. Like we're good. <laughs> 
exactly right maturity comes into it experience comes into it and like you hit on the head evolution right you start seeing this is like a long time ago someone like i read this in twitter or something someone's like is this going to matter 10 minutes from now 10 hours from now 10 days from now 10 weeks from now and i often do ask myself that and i'm like oh shit this is going to matter in 10 weeks okay i'm throwing my hands up and losing my shit yeah because it's going to have that big of an impact but if it's not i'm like hey you make the decision go for it yeah 100 percent. and i just want everyone out there listening like we are not perfect human beings here. Like I can think of so many times where I wish I could have said something different, right? But I think the key here is also remembering, like they always, I don't know if you remember this old saying, it was like dress for the position that you want. I kind of think of that as like now of like almost act like the position that you want. So what I mean by act is like when you're a VP versus like director, I mean, there is some weight there, right? You talked about yep. titles and yep. people expect a VP to act a certain way, right? To show up a certain way into a meeting, right? It's the jokes that you tell. It's the things that you laugh at. It's how you speak. Those things really matter. And I think I've noticed too, in the last year and a half of us being kind of remote, it does matter, especially when we're all on Zoom call. I find that it's easy to get away with some things, but really showing up and saying, hey, let's start the meeting, right? No more chit chat. You know, yeah. It's like little things. It is little things. And it is somebody in the room who says like, this is the hard part, right? Isn't startups, you're talking about how somebody is in a certain role and they want to cross over to VP and you're a director, right? How do you handle when your team isn't delivering what they need to on? How do you go Ooh. manage somebody and be like, listen, I need more out of you. You're not giving what we need. And how do you stop the jokes and turn the switch on? And sometimes you become jackal and hide, but yeah. it is what it is. And I've gotten feedback where people are like, whoa, like there's two modes to you. And I'm like, yeah, there is. And you know what? I'm in that seat where I need both those modes. I need those modes where I turn on. I'm just like, hey, we need to get this done. Let's go. And I could be joking with you and then it's go time, right? That's just how it is. And that's how it is in a startup and even big company. I think in some positions when you have bigger launches and you got to go take care of stuff, you might be joking, but you turn that switch on and it's go time. It's a race, right? When Usain Bolt is joking around and the cameras are off, he's all game. But when that gun yeah. goes off in that hundred yards, you don't see him laughing. You see him just running, and running, taking on what he needs to take on <laughs> in under 10 seconds. Yeah, um... <laughs> exactly. That's a really good point too, that you bring up is like a lot of times being the head of a department, a function, and you're building it out as well. Like if you start rubbing other cross-functional teams the wrong way, right? It's going to be much harder to get that cross-collaboration or to get that launch out because people are like, ah, I'm going to go deal with Jekyll again. You know, it's like, I don't want to go deal with the bad guy. And so I think that's also important is understanding that these are relationships and showing up and being professional and there is a part where we are co-workers, right? And we can laugh and say funny things, but there is a time for us to be serious. And I want to kind of ask you too, like being the bad guy, this is the part where it's tough whenever you're at a senior level position. How has that been? How do you cope with that? I think the biggest thing comes to is you got to kind of have your support system. Yeah. <laughs> I cope with it in various ways. One for me is Peloton or CrossFit. And yeah. the other is my wife. Yes. yes I definitely like have conversations with her and I'm sure you do too as well. And the other thing is just being clear on why you're doing what you're doing, why you're pushing the team so hard so they understand. And people oftentimes just don't have context. And the more time you can spend on the why and why you're doing it and why it matters, the less work you're going to have to do later. Because from a foundational starting perspective, you painted the picture. Hey, we have to go do this event. 
hey, we're putting this survey out. We're going to write this report. Why? Because one is a way to layer on more leads into our system for our reps to follow up to get more meetings. Another is to educate the market, to let them know we're thought leaders. And another is to constantly make sure there's a drumbeat of content, even if it doesn't resonate, even if it doesn't end up with us getting meetings, people start knowing who we are from a brand awareness perspective, right? Giving them the context to why and what it links to in the entire marketing realm. And then people who are not in the marketing realm, painting that picture and educating them, right? A lot of marketing is 50% internal education, oh, I would is. say, and yes. 50% external <laughs> yes. education. <laughs> so much so. And I love the why too. I'm a why person. So yeah. I'm at an early stage startup now. And sometimes you get a late message from like one of the co-founders and is like, hey, we should do this and this. And they're just excited. You know what I mean? And you're like, yep. why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what? You know, like what triggered this? And we'll, we'll have a conversation about it. I think, again, five, 10 years ago, I would have like freaked out, stressed out, maybe even like stayed up late to implement all of those things. But understanding the why behind it, you're like, okay, move these to Q1, address these in the next week, right? You can start prioritizing and understanding that it's not an immediate task. So if you're out there, I hope that this paints a picture too, of like crossing the chasm isn't always pretty, nope. but it is fun when you start creating categories and you've got amazing companies that you've done it at. So, you know, kudos to you, man. Yeah, it's been fun, right? I feel like I'm sounding like an elder millennial, as they say. <laughs> uh, it's definitely the journey. The journey is the destination and it is yeah. nothing sweeter than the journey. I definitely 110% wouldn't have believed that 10 years ago. I would have said you're full of shit. Yeah. Um, you can bleep that out if you have to, but... <laughs> no, no. Now we, I'm we, like, we leave it in. Yeah, now I'm like, holy shit. The journey of creating the category, the journey of doing it with different people at different stages of the company and seeing the buyer evolve based on how you're educating them because it resonates with them is so sweet. Yeah, that's a ton of fun. And I'm glad that you mentioned that too, because it's a really great segue to this podcast, Thrills and Chills, the highs and lows of product marketing career. So I'm just curious, man, like what are some of those thrills and chills of your own career? Yeah, I mean, we touched on a few, right? I, I've been, um, I would say, if you look at me, I was an engineer and I like to say marketing stole my heart. So I would say definitely, if you look at the evolution of my career, I started as a programmer and I was at NetApp, Dell. And then I realized over time that marketing stole my heart because I want to influence people at a large scale. And that's also why I'm not a salesperson. And so like the highs, right, has been at Nutanix, creating the category of hyper-converged infrastructure, being there early on and really launching that company. They've gone IPO. Then moving on and having a failure at Coho Data, I would actually say that was a thrill because I learned so much about what not to to do what a good company <laughs> looks like. I mean, I cannot tell you enough. Like, God, it could, it was a financial low, maybe, but man, from an intellectual learning perspective, I could not beat what I learned there, also. Mm. And amplitude, it was a high on all accounts, right? We built the category of product analytics, really focused on retention as the pain point. Now they're IPO as a company. And then I joined another company in Irana, and that was also, I would say, a high and again, knowing not what to do. Yeah. And then ended up at Synthego, which is a high but also had loads where from product marketing perspective, like when a launch was not ready and pushing it out the door, I experienced that probably the first time in my career. Usually we had it nailed down because we did so much research. At Synthego, because it was actual physical product and not a software product, you didn't have that beta testing. Uh, you couldn't I do see. it. So you did customer research, but it still wasn't the same as until like they get the cell and the product to actually do the editing to see if it works. And for us, the positioning of, we had a product called Engineered Cell 
miles, it went out the door and it didn't take for two years. We had our core business still propping us up. But now I would say about a year ago, it turned the corner because we realized the pricing and packaging was the issue. And we so modified it and packaged it very differently and priced it very differently. And it changed. And this is the first time I would say it was a low, but it taught me something. We don't need to do all the position work in-house. You can get consultants outside and have them do the work and learn Hmm. from it. Okay. And we did that and we realized where we went wrong. And because this comes back to it, we are focused on the product and not the problem. Got it. Interesting. Yeah, man. That's pretty cool. Like, I mean, you got a good like roller coaster there. But I think again, the roller coasters, it's moving up, right? And there's yeah. some dips, but like it's up and to the right mostly. And I think that's something to talk about too. Like when you talk about journeys, when you talk about evolution, it's how you're growing with it. So thanks again for coming on. This has been an absolute blast. I really enjoyed getting to learn a little bit more about your story and learn a little bit more about category creation, but also just what it's like being the boss, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for having me, JD. Appreciate it. And like I said, I might be the boss, but one thing I'll say is uh, the boss has to be subservient to ensure everyone can succeed. That's a great place to leave it. So, hey, thanks again for coming on and everyone out there. We'll see you next week. Thank you. And now a quick word from our partners at Clue. Stay in the know about your competitive landscape with Clue. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards delivered everywhere your sales reps live through integrations with Salesforce, Slack, Highspot, and many more. With Clue, you'll never let your sales team be blindsided by competitors again. Crush your competition with Clue. And we'll see you next Thursday. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have any feedback on our episodes, things you liked, things you want to hear, anything else, please email us at podcasts at sharebird.com. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I look forward to seeing you next week.